Dee, Bolshevik Pick Lauer Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of the Lauer Hour Podcast. I'm David Smith and I'm joined today by Oren Fitzpatrick, Podge Gaffney, Franny Walsh and Marty Gillespie. Welcome lads. Today we're going to be discussing Magpie Murders by Anthony Horowitz, which is a murder mystery with plenty of twists and turns. And we're delighted to say that we've got our own little surprise for our listeners. So here we go. Hello, my name is Anthony Horowitz, and Ella have asked me to tell you a little bit about my novel, Magpie Murders. It's a story of an editor, Susan Ryland, who has just been sent the manuscript of a new novel by one of her authors, Alan Conway. She's never liked Alan, he's an unpleasant man, but he sells millions of copies. This time, however, she has a problem. The book she has been sent is missing the final chapter. And of course, who done it without a solution is a bit of a chocolate teapot. So she travels to Alan's house to try and find the missing pages because unfortunately, Alan himself has just died. And she discovers two things. First, Alan was murdered. Second, the secret of who killed him is hidden somewhere in the book he has just completed. So what you have here is a murder mystery inside a murder mystery, a twisty little read, and I hope you enjoy it. So that was Anthony Horowitz introducing his book, Magpie Murders, for all our listeners. Massive thanks to Anthony for getting involved, and we hope you all enjoyed that. Um, before we get stuck into the book, lads, we'll uh, catch up with you all. Podge, you're looking better than I expected after your house party on Friday night. I heard you were like the grandfather from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory yesterday. You spent the whole day in bed. Yeah, you're very much close to it, yeah. Stuck to the couch all day. Yeah, bit of a heavy one there Friday night. First proper house party in I don't know how long, to be honest. Yeah, it was great. Random friends collecting it together, so... But yeah, yesterday was, was touch and go, to be honest. And foolishly, I left half of this book to read. Me thinking during the week, I was like, gosh, I have all day Saturday to lie on the couch and chill. I have no plans. Casually get through the book. But sure, I didn't really open my eyes till four, five o'clock. And then Liverpool match was on. And then by the time I actually started into the book, it was around eight. So it was a solid three and a half hours reading last night and another three hours this morning. So <laughs> half an hour ago, got it, got it finished. So it's all up here, ready to go. One of my tactics, to be honest, I've done it a few times now. Pure procrastination, but like it tends to work well. Don't be stressed. No, it is stressful. It is, yeah. It's not. I like be stressed for you, so yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So do I. I'm like, he's like, I almost get it done though. There's actually one time I can't remember which book it was. It might have been Snowflake. Hope Louise isn't listening, but we had started chatting, and I was like, oh, "I'll be back in a minute." I actually forgot to finish the book, and I ran upstairs to finish the last few chapters, unbeknownst to you all. And you didn't finish *Raising Captivity* either. That was that. Ah, I did. I, I took out one or two chapters of that. Just then you didn't finish it, so. Uh, yeah, sounds yeah. like, sounds like you're not taking this too serious, Fudge. Yeah. 37 chapters in that. I thought, look, one or two won't be noticed. I remember they were the key ones. Started. I think Franny was like, I want to talk about chapter seven. And these were all like, yeah, 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 that chapter. And I was sitting there going, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> listen, I'm, I'm speaking out for the, the fellow book procrastinators out there, I'm sure, and they can resonate. I don't think they'll be listening to this podcast. Though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They intend to, but they haven't got around to it yet. Yeah. <laughs> listen to it all in one night, you know, they'll yeah. binge it. I actually had intended to go to Podge's house party, and by the sounds of it, I'm kind of glad I, I didn't. Uh, no, it was a, my parents' 30th anniversary, and they were kind of, they kind of took a holiday there, up and down the country, and they they just came up here for the weekend, and they came up on Friday, and we just went out for a meal in town this night, and oh, it was just lovely, like, I hadn't been in town in, in ages, and you know, there was a great buzz about it, and it was great to get, you know, get it up and all, and 
we went to myself and Lachine's favourite restaurant. It's Nepalese. Like, oh my God, it is outrageous. Outrageous stuff. But it's great, yeah. End up sleeping on the couch basically last night. Liverpool match wasn't until 2.30am here and then couldn't sleep after that and then I was afraid to fall asleep and I got like an hour of sleep on the couch and I watched the Joshua fight this morning and that was unreal. Um, oh, so that was, was good. glad I got off her. He has a really good fight. He lost like to music but uh, it was a really, really good fight and then today it just pissed rain from morning till night so didn't get up to a whole lot. Pre-ordered FIFA 22. That was as exciting as it got. Sounds good. Yeah. I don't know about you, Smith, but I'm uh, I'm completely over the picnics already. <laughs> yeah, so I can't, <laughs> I can't eat, eat any more cheese and. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I don't want to fucking. Oh, it's good to. It's good to finally see a few people outside the, the four walls of my my apartment. So yeah, I don't know. It's looking like we're getting a little bit closer to that seventy percent mark. So. Is there any treating room where you've been calling the barbers thirty times a day? No. <laughs> yeah, the listeners obviously not going to know what I looked like before this, but not great is the answer. <laughs> slowly disappearing into a, just a ball of red fuzz. So. Yeah. <laughs> I've just I've just given up. Lockdown has broken me. Yeah, and did you do anything else again? You watched the AFL final last night or the boxing or anything? Watched the final last night. There was some nice tributes actually to uh, to Jim Stein. Yeah, so good game. Of, good game of football. Yeah, the demons win. I, to be honest, I didn't have a. I didn't have a horse in the race, really, so I didn't mind who was winning it. What about you, Franny? You got your first job yesterday? Yeah, feeling a bit unwell this morning. Not the usual reason you'd be feeling unwell on a Sunday, but uh, yeah, I haven't really got up to most other than that the weekend. That was kind of the most exciting thing that I did. It's not great weather here in Waterford either, so even when it is good weather, there's not a whole pile to do anyway, so... Uh, yeah, I was in Limerick last weekend on the beer, so I was just I was tender last Sunday as well, so I want to have a healthy weekend now, one of these weekends at some stage. Okay, lads, I think we'll move on to Magpie Murders. I'm keen to get stuck into this book and hear what you all think. Yeah, so Anthony obviously has written a lot of famous books and book series. I actually just finished his most recent book in his Hawthorne series, which is brilliant, where Anthony like plays himself and uh, solves crimes with this detective. It's called The Line to Kill. It was really good. And then obviously he's written some of the like official James Bond books and Sherlock Holmes and his Alex Ryder series. We were probably at the perfect age for that for own up. That was... One of my favourite book series, Franny. I think you loved it as well. Yeah, I was a huge fan of them when I was growing up. Like, that was kind of why I was excited to read this. <clears throat> I actually read, read this a couple of years ago. My mother got it for me for Christmas. Magpie Murders now, I mean. And it was kind of like, it was cool to read something that he'd done as an adult. Because I, like, I lived on those Alex Ryder books when I was younger. But yeah, like, he's a brilliant writer in terms of like keeping stuff ticking along. You know, you're always, even though the books can be long enough. I know this book is like, the guts of 500 pages, I think we said. It's always, you're never left kind of bored or like inclined to put it down. And um, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. It was kind of, it was a really interesting take too on the whole murder mystery thing. Like I wouldn't read a whole lot of murder mysteries, but you know, the way he approached it from kind of the writer's point of view and the way Conway is really disillusioned with this whole idea of being just a murder mystery writer and he wants to break into being something more consequential and he's kind of like a bit pissed off with the whole way he's been perceived and then the way that like, I know we're going to discuss the big twist and a bit later on, but like, you know, the way he builds this into the, into the Atticus Pun character, the way he's so kind of annoyed with the way he's, with the way he's pigeonholed himself, I suppose. And uh, yeah, so I really enjoyed it. I thought it was for a 500 page book, I thought it was nearly one of the easiest reads I've ever read in my life. Yeah, definitely. Those Alex Ryder books were unbelievable as well. I read those. I remember my mom bought me like a box of like the first four of them when I was probably like 12 or 13 and just horse and through them and then buying all the other ones as they came out. Marty and Paul, do you mean interested? Do kids still like, are they still huge in schools? 
Uh, like my like I'm in I'm in an old boys school. Not that that makes much of a difference, but all of my class, I mean, literally, I have twenty seven boys in my class, and I would say twenty of them are massive Alex Ryder fans. You know, I actually. I, I chat about books a lot with them. Like I, I tell them what I'm reading, even if it's not, you know, appropriate stuff. But like I was telling them, I, w- I was reading this, and I, I'm not gonna lie, I did kind of hint or I did say that I was hoping to hear from Anthony himself. And you want to see the look in, in their faces, like it was, it was as if I was saying Santa was going to arrive and like you know, and it was just for me. But uh, oh, like they're they're still hugely popular. They're still hugely popular. What ages would they be, Marty? Oh, curiosity. Uh, my lads are about 10 or 11, but you see them down even as far as third or fourth class. You know, I'd say maybe 9, 10 or, is when boys start to get really excited. And I'm like, you know. Yeah, that would have been like um, peak Alex Ryder age for me as well. Like, yeah. They, mad into they like, it's funny, I, um, James Patterson, you know the Alex Cross series? He has a, a kid's version, Ali Cross. You know, a lot, I was chatting to some of my kids about that and, they're saying it's very good, but like they, this Alex Ryder is just class. Like so funny how how it's so transgenerational. Like they just it just works every time, you know. Uh, for the uninitiated, what are the Alex Ryder books uh, based on? Is it the same sort of murder mystery, or is it like a kind of action book sort of thing? It's basically like James Bond for teenagers or for kids. Like it's like about a teenage spy. Alex Ryder gets like recruited by MI6. Yeah, it's unreal. Like he's there's all these brilliant villains and he's got all the gadgets and tech. It's yeah, basically James Bond for a younger audience, but like they are absolutely brilliant. And they kind of get more serious as they go on as well. I love them. And I it's a series now on Amazon. I started watching it recently and like it's very good. There was a film of Stormbreaker that came out about I'd say it was about ten years ago now. Your man Alex Pettifer was the main lab, but it was shite. It was one of the worst <laughs> things I've ever seen. Be interesting to see how the T V series goes now. With Magpie Murders. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I think we'll start chatting about the book, lads, will we get stuck into it? <laughs> plen- plenty to unpack. I'll start, I suppose, with just your general thoughts. Oren, I know you're not like probably mad into murder mysteries in general, or you kind of wouldn't read too many of them. How did you enjoy the book, or what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, it hits me on the head. I, I don't know what it is. I think I'm just a bit of a, I don't know, there's a, there's a snobbish element, to, like, you know, trying to read classics or something like that, or trying to read, maybe I'm just a bit too serious in what I am reading. Like, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Part of me throughout was like, oh, is this just, is, is this it sort of thing? Is it just your, your kind of typical and you know what's happening? And, and I did find myself getting caught up and trying to figure out who was who and who was doing what. And like the twist is always, twists are obviously great. And I thought it was, it was great. I did have an inkling that there was a book and a book. Just, yeah, I'd, I'd read just a snippet beforehand, which I generally don't do, but for some reason I did for this. So I kind of knew that was coming. But um. No, thoroughly enjoyed. And I think Franny hit the nail on the head there when he was saying, like, for such a long book, I didn't at all feel like it was that long. Flew through it, really easy read. And uh, it was brilliant. Enjoyed it. Good stuff. Uh, Marty, what, what did you think? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I really enjoyed it. Um, more so than I thought I would. Um, like Owen, I probably don't read a whole lot of murder mysteries. And not, not because I don't like them or anything. I just generally don't like uh, I just the whole the whole book I kind of thought it was really clever and it was really fun read like you know I actually listened to a lot of it on Audible it's the first time I used Audible and then read with Kindle it was actually a really cool experience like I the, I didn't know that Kindle and Audible synchronized so like I used to go to bed and read the book 
and fall asleep and then wake up and go get in the car to work and play the audiobook. It would take it off from where I left off in the Kindle the night before and then I'd come back and read the book, take off from where the audiobook left. It was really, really cool. Uh, and as a result, it meant that I was constantly thinking about the, the story. You know, there was very few times where you felt you could put the book down, you know, where there's where you, you never really got bored. Like there was always something new being introduced. As I say in the pod, we when we were out paddleboarding and discussing it, a great a great place to discuss the book. I'll have you know out on the Irish Sea on a paddleboard. But um, every two or three pages, my you know what my guess at who who did what changed. Like so, I enjoyed that. And one thing that I did really did really enjoy, and I love when an author does this, is all the characters. I didn't like any of them. I thought they were all pricks. But <laughs> like twenty seven characters, and you could probably name them all because. They come, they're they're well portrayed, but part of the reason that I probably remember they were so easy to remember is because I thought they were pricks. But yeah, no, overall I I I did enjoy the book. Yeah, <laughs> kind of going back to what I lived at the start, having to absolutely binge this book in the guts of how many hours. I suppose I was lucky it was the type of book it was, you know, like because I was I was happily reading it for a few hours on end, like, and I was enjoying it, and even getting up this morning to finish I was like yeah I'm actually looking forward because you know every chapter is a cliffhanger you want to see how it ends and a little bit different to the lads as well I suppose I've been in the last year or two I've read especially since lockdown I have read a good few murder mysteries I suppose um, particularly like LJ Ross's books uh, like she has DSI Ryan uh, Detective Inspector another series of hers is uh, Alexander Gregory he works in a psychiatric hospital in London, I think, Southmore, I think it's called. And then he's like going all over the place. And again, starts off with this like thrilling murder or whatever. So yeah, I think those books are always good if you're if you're stuck in a rut. And I do get stuck in a rut with reading a lot. Only for the podcast, I think, keeping me on the straight and narrow, to be honest. But like they're always a good one to pick up and get you back into and remember why reading is so enjoyable as a pastime. Yeah, overall, really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was extremely clever. And then with the twist as well, I know we're going to talk about more, but like, like that middle chapter where we're back with Susan, I was like, this could basically be the podcast. Because <laughs> she was just like throwing in all my theories. Like I was thinking I was kind of getting somewhere and all of a sudden it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> so it's like, that, that, that changed it for me. That upped it a level for me, to be honest. And really, really, really enjoyed it from, especially from that moment onwards. I was listening to it at that stage and can't remember the narrators in the book, but... For the whole Atticus Punt part of the story, it's a fellow with a really deep and soft, gravelly voice. And the next thing, it switches to Susan. And it's a, it's a Lynn Isaac. Who, what, where's, yeah. what's going on here now? It was a real big shock. Real big shock. Hey, Danny, the pace just completely took off. Yeah. Go on. And, and I love, I love that the, the second protagonist, Susan, wasn't a detective. I love that aspect of it. And like, he can, yeah properly relate to her in a way because like she's no experience in this field whatever and you know it's not it's, it's she's not as obviously clean cut as Atticus is you know what I mean with his assumptions and his whatever his theories. Smith I know you finished Anthony's newest book and I remember I read the blurb and it was something like um, everyone's a suspect on a small island or something like that and that's yeah. like that is the basis for a lot of murder mysteries and or like small town murders and like Atticus Punt is like that but Magpie Murders isn't like, you know, the 
the book, which is great. Like you think you're getting into the cliche, but it's gone. It blows it out of the water. It nearly felt like it was a the degustation, was that the right word, of murder mysteries rather than the murder mystery itself. Like um, it kind of elevated it into a separate sort of it was kind of taking the piss out of a murder mystery and saying, yeah, these are the basis. And it was, uh, you know, a twist on that and a, an exploration of that. I think that's why I enjoyed it. That there was a bit more to it. And Anthony's so good at like subverting your expectations with his books. Like Marty, you were saying there about his new book, The Blurb, sounds like your everyday thing. And the storylines are and like the murders and the suspects and like there's clues everywhere. But like in those books, Anthony plays himself and he's the typical writer. Like he's like us. He's like, oh, must be this person because. And it often gets that he's like, I've solved the murder. I've solved the murder. And then the detective with him is like, what are you talking about? Like, you're an idiot. This is like, (laughs) this is clearly not the case. Like you're watching too much TV. I think it's really interesting that Anthony writes um, Midsummer Murders and like Foyle's War and all these the fact that he's did, done like the official Sherlock Holmes books, I think House of Silk is the one he wrote and the Bond books, but yet like in his own work, then he completely like plays with the whole genre and kind of puts his own stamp on it, which makes the book so much better than your average whodunit. So I think that's like the biggest strength of his writing. I thought the bit he had where like, don't wear Alan Connolly writes this thing and it's like the thing he wanted to write where it's the, you know, it's the more weighty sort of political commentary sort of book. Is it the slide? Is that what it's called? The slide? I thought that was like a very interesting challenge he took on there where it was like he kind of had to make it shite but like do it in such a way that like it was a writer that had done it and it wasn't his own kind of realm. Like I thought it was a very interesting thing to take on where it kind of has to be a bit good but it can't be properly good. Do you know what I mean? It kind of has to illustrate that this isn't his field of competence and like I thought that was just a very kind of an interesting challenge to take on as a writer in the book. Does it not say in the first few pages of the book, does Susan not say like, oh, this book you're about to read changed my life dramatically or like ruined my life? So do you, you know it's a book within a book, but then you forget. and then Yeah, but I thought, I thought we'd get to the end of the book and then something would be an after commentary or something. I thought it would, like, it would, it would bookend it in a way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like start with her, okay, read the book and then afterwards, but I didn't expect it to just be like the ending cut off. And then you're left in limbo for like fucking 200 pages or something, you know? Not going to lie, I didn't cop it at all. That first chapter, I kind of thought it was nearly like a, a book re- recommendation, like for a long part of it, like, you know? I didn't foresee the Atticus Pumbe coming at all. Like when it came in, I was kind of like, oh, this might be like a few pages or something. And it just goes on for like 200 pages. Then you're kind of like, Jesus, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't think this is going to be the crack now at all. Yeah. And especially even the way they start off, like he starts it off where it's like it goes to page two hundred, like in the paperback version, it goes to page whatever, and then it starts from page one again. Like it's it's really like the way stylistically he does it. It's it, like he does really make an effort to divide it into two books. I think he just balanced the whole thing. It could have gone so wrong if someone else had written it. I think, but it was just perfect. The the way he left the Atticus Punt book, like before we find the missing chapters, was brilliant. Like we finished, I think he said. Uh, James Fraser asked him about Matthew Blakinson he was like it's easy he killed his he killed his uh, his ex-wife he killed Mary and we are left with no description or explanation at all and then we're into Susan's story then and as you say Smith you you're really invested in Susan's story but I also want to know how Matthew did it and then obviously <laughs> we find out what happened then who were you suspecting as the murderer as you were reading it did you have someone in mind that were like oh, definitely him or her I was going for the priest <laughs> early doors I was like oh, I have to be the priest <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> like and genuinely it wasn't even really based on all that much evidence 
I kind of, yeah, I don't know, just with the book, I really tackled it. I just kind of, I didn't get too caught up in who's who and all that. Like, I know you were you were saying, like, you were debating it nonstop. Yeah, I felt myself just really enjoying it for what it was, and it was kind of an easier read than what I had been reading previously, you know. So I was just kind of enjoying it, so until the next fella, and trying to suss it out. And then I loved it when I switched to Susan, and she was, like, breaking it all down. <laughs> I was like, that's oh, great. Generally, I forget to write any notes on a book or something like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that fella. Yeah, yeah, going through it. And I was like, no, I'm sticking with the, sticking with the priest. Because, like, I don't know, for me, it was a complete guess. Like, I had no notion who it was. Did you come up with reasons why or, like, just... I thought it was the vicar as well, or made the vicar's wife, I thought, maybe, or something. And it was going to be over, like, the Dingle Dell. But, like... The vicar, the vicar apologies, I'm too Catholic here. I sure know it's only because he's a Protestant that I, he was a suspect of me. <laughs> when we did switch to Susan, I did I did kind of have chatters in my head, like from the from the envelope envelope handwritten and the typed letter thing. That's kind of I did kind of have my my eggs in his basket, if that's the right saying. But uh, in terms of that, he was put one. I hadn't a clue. Like I was I was between. I actually had joy. In there, I had Joy as my kind of lead. Well, I like I thought that the vicar and the vicar's wife was nearly going to be too obvious, or or that uh, I felt that like Brent kept getting pushed to the side. I was like, he fucking has something to do with it too. Uh, but I don't know. I, I I really couldn't. I really couldn't decide because, as I said, all the characters are pricks. They all could have done it. I love how they assemble or like and disassemble the evidence, like how it's filtered out to you about like the sound of the bite going by and this happened at this time and like why was the burglary, why was everything thrown into the lake and stuff like that. Like there's so many, he's so many threads going at the same time and then between switching between the storylines as well that I remember almost like I was on the verge of like getting a pen and paper when I was reading it and writing out who was where and who did what. Like I was so invested, but even at that, I don't think I'd ever have come up with what the solution was, but the solution made perfect sense when he explained it, which I've read a lot of whodunits and murder mysteries that it's too much of a stretch at the end. Like a lot of good books are ruined in the last five or 10%, but I think Horowitz always pulls it off in any of the books I've read. Uh, just when you say there, something about taking out the pen and paper, whenever the revelation was made about the anagram, I, I took out the pen and paper. I was like, I have to work this out here. So I started like, I don't know why Magnus came into my head. I think because Magnus is such a strange name. Like I wrote down Magnus Pie and tried to make an anagram of it. And I got, I, I thought I got it. Uh, uh, Magnus Pie is an anagram for puny games. So, but it was very disappointing anagram, but I thought, I thought I had it. Yeah, I was reading along and I had a few different suspects to start, but then like every who done it, I'm almost left looking like an egus. So I said, I won't. There was one instance and I thought I had it highlighted, but I don't. I just, there was a couple, uh, it was very early on in the book, who said that they had a son who lived away and didn't talk to anymore. And as soon as that was mentioned, I was like, ah, okay, there's someone that might reappear. And then the shady figure at the church, they didn't see his face. I was like, oh, that must be him. But yeah, I suppose like everyone, like I'd, Depends on the chapter. Like, it could be Joy one minute, and then it could be Clarissa the next, and all that. But I kind of, I didn't want to make too many predictions, because I just knew it wouldn't, I just wouldn't get it. Like, you know, I just knew something would happen. But there was something I was fishy about Robert anyway. I didn't take, I did not see the twist of him and his brother coming, or the fact that his mother actually accidentally died. All that stuff, I thought was brilliant. But yeah, I always, I think he stood out as, I think when he mentioned he had done time before in prison, and uh, he was always a little bit angry in meetings that you have with him and 
yeah, he just kind of stood out as someone that was maybe a little bit interesting. I suppose the two main twists then at the climax of the stories are in the Atticus Fun storyline and it emerges in the missing chapters that Robert Mary's son was actually the murderer, that Mary died by accident by falling down the stairs uh, and that Robert murdered Magnus Pye and that he actually murdered his brother as well as a child. Marty, did you, were you happy with that resolution? Like we've often said about how the climaxes connect stories down. Were you happy with that explanation for all the deaths? I actually was, yeah. I, I don't know why by Mary actually falling to her death, that, that kind of was kind of a tonic to the whole thing for me. That worked really well for me. <laughs> as undramatic as it was, I, I really enjoyed it. In terms of Robert, yeah, happy enough with that. I kind of thought he had something to do with Tom's thing, but I didn't know he was directly involved. Like Mary's disdain of joy throughout the book. I thought that twist was also really well done. And like the letter talking about, and we all, and we thought it was the, she talked with the brother with Down syndrome that she didn't want it to be in the grandkids and stuff. And that twist, she's actually talking about Robert all along and why she stayed in that house working. It was always kind of on the back of your mind going, geez, that's a funny one. Like, you know, for her walking by that lake every day and then find out her actual intentions were to protect Robert from everyone else and to keep this secret hidden and all that. I thought that was a deadly twist. The dog thing I thought was really good, the twist that Robert had killed the dog and she kept the collar in. And then wasn't it Brent had overheard Magnus saying to, was it Matthew Blakeston at the door, do you really think I killed your dog or whatever? And it turned out Robert was actually inside at the time about to murder Magnus. Like I thought the timelines overlapped so well and it was just yeah. so well done. That even, like, even him borrowing, like borrowing the, the vicar's bike and stuff, there's all these red herrings throughout that. You think, oh, sure, of course it was the vicar. He was cycling, he was on the bike and he was cycling past the pub and all this. And then you're like, no, your man just saw the bike and took it with it. Like, just really, yeah, as well, as well knitted together. I really enjoyed like that scene in the office. It's like your typical Sherlock Holmes one where Pond explained to Joy how it was Robert all along. And I liked how Pond like deduced that when they found Tom, was it the brother? that Robert like needlessly got himself wet in the lake by jumping in, like even though he pulled out to hide the fact that he was already wet. I thought that was like, that was really chilling when he revealed that. And I think there was a line about the air seemed to be sucked out of the room or something, or like everything came to a halt. I felt you feel so bad for Joy then as well. Did they give a reason on why they kept the dog color? I think it was because Mary was just like an example for her, was it of how dangerous Robert was and like that she always knew maybe something to hold over him as well as the letter. That she knew that he killed the dog. Yeah, right. Okay. But also, wasn't it the same? The name on the t- on the the collar was the same as Charles's dog, isn't that right? In Attic's Point. Yeah, right. Okay. Considering that you find out obviously afterwards that her the one son murdered the other one or whatever, wasn't it? Keeping the dog's collar to remind her that her son was a psycho is probably a little bit. I think she would have realised. I suppose then the climax to the main storyline or Susan's storyline is that Charles had murdered Alan Conway to suppressed knowledge of Conway's kind of last laugh, which was that even though he was dying of cancer, he put this bomb basically into all his books that the titles of all the Addicts Pund Investigates books spelled out an anagram. And the anagram turned out was for Atticus Pund's own name, uh, which was a stupid see you next Tuesday, leave you fill in the blanks there, or get like Martin, get the pen and paper out and work out the anagram. There were so many good twists, but when that came, I was like, this is absolutely brilliant. I don't throw that off. I thought it was I thought it was genius to be honest. And I know we were kinda of before the pod was recording, we were kinda of half chatting about some bits, but like I reckon it was yeah, it was it was not just for, for Anthony Horowitz, but for uh, Alan Conway it was it was genius. But it kinda of got you thinking as well, like he he's been writing the books for all eleven years and yet he has that 
like he he had that decided before he even wrote the first story, which tells you a lot. I might I might just tell you how he maybe hated himself a little bit for for maybe selling out, uh, writing books that he never truly loved. He obviously had a talent for it, but that's not how he wants to be seen as a writer. He wants to be writing more things like the slide or whatever it was called. But yeah, it was just really really interesting. And I mean, sitting on multi million pound series that was about to be made into a tv show and all this is about to happen and like conway was going to be remembered forever for these books and like maybe that's not what he wanted his legacy to be and that he was about to drop that i think he was going on a radio show or something wasn't he like the week after and that was when he was going to drop the bombshell and as you said have the last laugh and it was just so it was just so brilliant it was just so well done but i thought it was interesting that despite that like even when it did come out that it still did well. Do you know what I mean? It still was a success and it was still a bestseller and stuff in that in that fictional world. So really, really clever on Anthony's part. I thought that was class. Uh, you'd wonder does it kind of reflect some bit of self-consciousness on Anthony Horowitz's part as well that he's like, you know, obviously he's known for writing murder mysteries or espionage sort of stuff. And you kind of wonder, like obviously he's as well made a massively successful career out of it and he has a real flair for it but you kind of wonder I don't know is there some sort of you're right there is there's a lot of this uh, a lot of his own childhood is actually in this Lash into it Marty this is what I've been waiting for (laughs) 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 yeah no he was actually sent to a boarding school when he was eight and he was regularly beaten by the headmaster he called school uh, a brutal experience just overall a horrible time with it and I think that's I think there's probably more reflections of him in it like things like you know the worry of not being perceived as a literary genius or like you know that the books weren't of like highbrow whatever I, like, I don't know that but like that's that's I, I imagine it's probably a reflection of him he also like his mom gave him an actual human skull for his 13th birthday so really 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 grim stuff like but he was saying it always reminds him when he's writing the story reminds him to get to the end of the story quick because otherwise because he'll end up being a human skull soon or something like that but he's fucking got a few a good few stories out before the century i don't doubt that he'll have a lot more before he is a a human skull if you do like that element of weaving things in from his real life, you should definitely have to read his Hawthorne series because that takes it another level than any books I've ever read in my life. He'll put in real meetings with his publishers and real TV shows and books he's writing or working on at the time are blended into the plot, which is just mad. Another interesting fact, Anthony <laughs> Horowitz's favourite favorite book is Great Expectations, so we'll enjoy our little pun on that. Yeah, he'll have to, yeah. Hopefully he gets as far as listening to Great Expectations in this one. I know, yeah. His <laughs> um, dog as well. His dog is called Lucky, and it was ran over three times. Jeez, <laughs> you put in plenty of work this week, mate. You're very blazing. <laughs> There used to be a running joke, actually, in the Alex Ryder books, where it was like the dog would have a different name at the start of every book. Like, there'd be a little um, acknowledgement at the start of the book, and he'd, like, name out all his family and stuff, and the dog would have a different name in every book. So, like, in, in, one, in one book, it'd be Unlucky, and then in another book, it'd be something else. But you just, I just kind of remember that just now when you said that. That's brilliant. So, yeah, Anthony did actually did a follow-up to Magpie Murders, Moonflower Murders, which um, features Susan and Atkins Pond as well again. I'm wondering, like, would anyone not read the book having read this, or would, would it be definitely something you'd read down the line or be open to reading? Yeah, I, I, I probably would read it. I don't think I'd read it straight away. The two dots are great, but then you can, as I know from experience, you can end up going just, just reading them, you know what I mean? So I kind of, yeah, I will read it at some stage, but... Um, 
I don't know, like, as I said earlier, like, the, the twist in the middle of this book just kind of elevated the whole book for me. And I don't know if, it's, if there's a similar twist or whatever in the next one. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But it would have to be very, very good for it to, to match this one just because of that. But yeah, I definitely will. Definitely will read it. Uh, I'm actually 60 or 70 pages into it. I got it for Christmas. Christmas just gone, I think. And it's been downstairs, but I was in Barcelona and stuff since. So I think I started it at Christmas and then like never picked it up again. I might actually start into it today, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I've kind of remembered how much I enjoyed Magpie Murders during this chat. So I think I might actually spend my Sunday reading that now. So, so yes, is, is, is the answer. <laughs> uh, no, like, when I finished Magpie Murders, I, uh, I probably wouldn't have been too bothered. But as I was saying, uh, at the end of uh, Magpie Murders, they give you like a teaser, like the first chapter of Moonflower Murders and yes that sounds I like when I finished that I was like oh I need to get this book now so yeah I think I probably will at some stage but um, to answer your question probably not as a result of Magpie Murders not yeah. a genre that I that I love I don't know yeah. good book like but I think I'd, I wouldn't read it unless somebody said here read this and we'll have a chat about it I don't know if you're like it's the type of thing if you're into it like I, I'm not at all kind of Begrudging the man, he's he's a fantastic author. I wouldn't like hold it against anybody who's enjoying the books, but I think just for me, I don't. It's not something that really. The whole genre is just not for you, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good luck, but struggling to find kind of negatives or positives, <laughs> which sometimes is, is nearly telling in itself. Like, I can't um, wait to hear what genre you do like. Yeah, <laughs> we've been doing this podcast a while. I right? actually, I actually hate reading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He hasn't even read the books, he just comes out to give out about them. <laughs> the worst thing was this podcast was your idea, or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, I needed a, I needed a, a funnel for my uh, cynicism. I think that brings us on then, lads, when we sign for rate expectations. Or, and I'll start with you, Mr. I Don't Like Mur- Murder Mysteries. Do you want to give us a rating for Magpie Murders and why? Despite me not liking a lot of the a lot of the genres, I tend to give fairly high marks. I feel I actually like I would rate it like it's I don't know how to how to say this like that. It's kind of like watching I don't know a sport that you've no massive inclination to watch again, but you're like that's really impressive what you've done there. So I like I'd give it a I definitely give it a seven. Like it's well worth a read. It's worth a read even if you're not into murder mysteries. It might spark an interest. Might spark a love. As Podge said earlier on. If you're struggling for something, I've it's happened to me where you tackle a kind of a bit of a, a bit of a project and you're just not getting yourself moving. It's a great book like that. It's kind of it's simple, but then at the same time, I do feel like he is exploring a little bit of himself and a little bit of I'm sure for other writers they might be kind of having a read of it, going, "Oh yeah, I see what he's doing there." He's kind of he's almost taking a piss out of himself and his own genre, which I appreciate as well, being the being a saint that I am. Oh yeah, no, I definitely gave it a seven. <laughs> I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, like again, I did enjoy it, but I, I'm similar to Oren. Like I, I am, I'm gonna give it a seven as well. Like it was, it was a fun and well put together book. But like I think with murder mysteries or a book like that, I was kind of expecting a bit more urgency or something. Like the the whole time, I kind of felt like, oh, who did it? Who did it? Like there wasn't that much intensity. Like I suppose that, like. It was more Quasar as opposed to Paintball or Fortnite as opposed to Call of Duty or Foosball as opposed to FIFA. Like it was just a little bit of a step down in intensity. But again, overall, overall really enjoyed it. 
it's probably what I would classify as as an airport an airport novel. That's probably to that probably isn't to the liking of Anthony or, or definitely not Alan Conway anyway. But yeah, no, I think I think uh, I go with a seven. I did I did enjoy it. If some man for those comparisons, he must write those down the year during the week or something and foosball over football and Fortnite over Call of Duty and all that shit. <laughs> I, I got the the I had that like I, I knew there was something I wanted to make a comparison to and it took me a couple of days to get the quasar to paintball one but when I got that one fucking the rest of them were plowing out to the work Shakespeare the Dunny Gold Shakespeare Fudge <laughs> can't finish the book on time but Marty's coming up with comparisons two days in advance <laughs> very impressed <laughs> from an enjoyment perspective really really enjoyed it maybe it's because I'm a bit I, I maybe enjoy murder mysteries than, than some of you anyway I just liked I thought the twist was really clever I thought the writing was really clever I know we said before we don't really chat about you know the intricacies of his writing and stuff in this podcast but still it was really well put together there was no minor thing unaccounted for in the book like it tied up very nicely it was memorable reads for me uh, it stood out compared to other murder mysteries because of the kind of story within the story aspect. Uh, I'm going to give it an eight. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'd give it an eight just because of kind of how unique it was. Um, so I hadn't read this book in a good while. And when it was coming up to the podcast, I was like, I'd probably give it a seven because I remember it being like decent without being incredibly good. But like, as we've been sitting here talking about it, I've kind of been kind of remembering stuff about it that I really enjoyed and like the interplay between the two stories and you know the kind of self-deprecating aspect of the way he wrote it from his own point of view um so I'm actually going to give it an eight because I thought actually looking back at it now I actually do remember I, I found it really enjoyable and for a murder mystery I suppose as well it did a lot of stuff that murder mysteries wouldn't necessarily do I'm very similar to you Franny I was delighted when you actually mentioned this book as one to do for the podcast and it reminded me how much I enjoyed it I love murder mysteries like Podge, like I read them for fun all the time. And I love like Agatha Christie and Sherlock Holmes and books like those. And I think like for me, Anthony Horowitz is right up there with those sort of writers and still like breaks the conventions and plays around with like the expectations and stuff. Like I said, since I've been like a child, I've been reading a lot of his books. So for me, when people ask me, a few people have asked me recently, like for a good like murder mystery or something like that. And this has been the book. It's generally his books I've been suggesting to them. So for that reason, I'm going to give it a eight and a half. I think I'll go for over. It made me immediately read the follow-up book and then his Hawthorne series as well as soon as they come out and buying them. So definitely he, he's had me hooked on his books before and since. So yeah, eight and a half for me. All right. So that gives that gives Magpie Murders, Lancy Horowitz, a 7.7 from the lower hour days. Very good. And massive thanks to Anthony again for contributing the intro. Like that was really special for us and I uh, hope everyone enjoys it. All right, lads, um, before we wrap up, just wondering, is anyone ever reading anything good? Yeah, no, I'm back into it now. Just finished Did You Hear Mammy Died? I know we're tackling that later in the pod, so I won't say too much, but I I really enjoyed that. thought it was brilliant. I think that could be the genre that uh, is my is my genre, whatever, <laughs> whatever genre that is. I've cracked into Gatsby there again today. I love that book. It's the second or third time I've read it. And then I'm listening to... Uh, uh, Murakami book um, Norwegian Wood his books are great I really enjoy him they're kind of a bit bizarre and weird and this is not the most bizarre or weird but uh, an enjoyable listen at the same time good stuff yeah it's a good mix of stuff Pod, are you reading anything good at the minute or is it just folks not getting Magpie Murders read 10 minutes before the podcast 
yeah, mostly the latter. But um, no, there's a book that uh, a friend of mine, Marty's Mick, he gave me a while back. It's We by Yevgeny Damyatin. Have you heard of it? Very, very popular dystopian novel that it's not that long. It's only about how many pages? 200 and something pages. Um, a proper classic. So he gave it to me a while back. I started, uh, I remember like the kids were doing deer time, drop everything and read, usually after a little break. And I just had it in my bag and I just started flipping through it. And I was like, Jesus, look, this looks good. Um, I'm reading three different books that's coming up for like the podcast. So I'm nearly finished Agassiz's book. Um, and then I'm also reading The Paper Brace. So I've been kind of maybe 25% of the way through that. And then I'm in the, in the early stages of Truman Capote as well. So I'm really enjoying Agassiz's book, I have to say. I didn't think I would. I'm not a tennis fan or major follower of it. And I also tend not to like sports autobiographies, but I thought his was a really excellent read. So yeah, that's me. Yeah, I'm intrigued to read Agassiz. I'm like, I love sport, obviously. And I, bre- I read a lot of sports autobiographies. But yeah, but a lot of them aren't great. Like a lot of them do disappoint. So I'm going to read that next. I'm reading... Uh, the Great Glorious Goddamn of It All at the moment. It's by Josh Ritter, the singer, if anyone's ever listened to him. He's written his second novel, and uh, it's brilliant so far. I only started a couple of days ago, but he's just so lyrical and poetic. It's about, like, lumberjacks, so it's pretty pretty niche, but it's really good. It's the same as a lot of you there. I'm still uh, kind of reading stuff for the podcast I'm on. Great Gatsby now, and I, I hadn't read it before. I'm literally about 10 or 15 pages in, but I'm really enjoying it. Like, But anyway... Uh, that's what I'm reading. I'm listening to The Third Policeman. That's off Oren's recommendation. It's really funny. It's really funny. It's like, it's great to kind of let your imagination run with it. Like, you know, it's really zone out kind of and enjoy. And I'm, oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah. I love it. I have to say. And I'm still, I'm still reading that fucking book, The Venice Sketchbook. I'm determined to finish it, but it's so shit. I'm <laughs> uh, like I, it got such a good rating like on Goodreads and Kindle, and it sounded like you know there was maybe a big mystery to solve. It's a bit dumb, like, but I'm determined <laughs> to finish it. Do you know when I bought it? I bought it in January. I bought it in January. I think it'll be if I get this finished before the end of the year, it will be a testament to me, a credit to myself. Yeah. Sorry, Reese Bowen. Reese is actually <laughs> appearing on the next episode of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> on that note. On that note, yeah. So that's some recommendations and some that you probably shouldn't read from the sounds of things. Yes, that's it from us for episode two of the podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening. And thanks again to Anthony for making an appearance. Next up, we're getting stuck into The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. So we'll be back with that in a couple of weeks. And in the meantime, keep an eye on myrera.com and our social media pages for all our updates. And uh, see you soon.